The What Are We Doing podcast and the Aquatic Biosphere Project acknowledges that we are located on Treaty 6 territory and respects the histories, languages, and cultures of First Nations, Métis, Inuit, and all First Peoples of Canada, whose presence continues to enrich our vibrant community. Have you ever found a buoy washed up on the beach? I love walking the shoreline when I'm at the beach, discovering whatever the ocean has washed up overnight. And it might be really exciting to find all of these treasures, but consider how they might have ended up getting washed into shore. Today, we're going to learn why we should be concerned, not excited, when we find a buoy washed up on shore. In this episode, we'll hear from the Deputy Director of the Global Ghost Gear Initiative, Joel Bazik. And we'll also hear from Burton Scott and Ali Stocks from the Emerald Sea Protection Society. In today's episode, we're diving into the spooky issues of ghost fishing. Air. Vasser. Bunny. G. Moana. Omi. Ubi. Agua. Low. Enzio. Nihu. Nui. Nui. Roda. Miri. Echi. Chai. Shui. Maji. Wai. Nero. Aqua. Roda. Water. We doing. And how can we do better? Your one stop shop for everything water related from discussing water, its use, and the organisms that depend on it. For all the global issues that you really never knew all had to do with water. I'm your host, David Evans, from the Aquatic Biosphere Project, and I just want to ask you something. What are we doing, and how can we do better? Buoys have many different purposes. Buoys can mark dangerous reefs or rocks that boats should avoid, or to show which direction a boat needs to travel in a busy area. Buoys have played important roles for hundreds of years, helping ships navigate safely, allowing us to harvest the bounty of the ocean and be able to find our nets and our traps. The problem comes when the buoys get lost. So if a buoy snaps off from the line, the net or trap will be lost at the bottom of the ocean. And that's where ghost fishing truly begins. Now, to be perfectly honest, before researching for this episode, I didn't really know too much about what this ghost fishing business was all about. For instance, what makes ghost gear ghost gear? Or what makes a ghost net a ghost net? Yeah, no, it's a really good question. I think we refer to it that the technical term is abandoned, lost, or discarded fishing gear, or ALDFG. To make it a little bit more palatable, it, it sort of had the colloquialism ghost gear. Sorry, I guess there's a quick introduction we need to make first. My name is Joel Basic. I'm the deputy director for the Global Ghost Gear Initiative, which we'll call the Triple GI, I think, to make it a little bit more palatable and easier to say. As the director of the Triple GI, Joel knows what he's talking about. 
The Triple GI has member organizations around the globe that help to coordinate cleanups of these abandoned and lost discarded fishing gear, ALDFG. They work with national governments, 17 so far, to help improve fishing practices around the world. Countries involved so far include the United States, Canada, the United Kingdom, but also smaller countries like Palau, Samoa, and Vanuatu, where fishing makes up a huge part of their local economies and livelihoods. So this this might get you thinking, let's just get fishermen to stop throwing their old nets overboard to get rid of them that way. But really, that's not the main issue. Fishermen rarely dump their gear overboard. The cause of most of this gear loss is from bad weather. Immense storms can snap lines, separating the gear from buoys. Another issue is if nets get snagged on the bottom. It can become a safety issue where the ship could capsize if they're trying to pull that gear free. Marine traffic can also cause abandoned gear. Buoys can get caught in the propellers of massive ships and cut loose. So there's many different ways that gear can get separated from the buoys. Also, this is expensive gear. We're not talking about a $5 net that you buy from the dollar store. These nets are huge. Some are the size of football fields. They cost tens to hundreds of thousands of dollars. Fishermen do not want to lose these investments. Once a net or a trap is out of human control and is either floating around in the ocean or stuck on the bottom, it continues to fish. Abandoned gear often continues to catch more and more fish and starts to bait itself with the fish it's already caught. And that just attracts more fish. Abandoned gear not only targets the species the fishermen set it out to catch originally, but these nets will catch anything that passes by. So this includes endangered species, sharks, seals, turtles, whales, sea otters, and even penguins. This is a really big issue because some drift freely across the ocean, catching whatever may swim into it. Some gear, though, is heavier and will fall into the bottom, but if it falls in a coral reef, it'll just smother the reef. So ghost fishing is estimated to account for one-fifth of all the fish that are harvested in the ocean every year. Think about that for a second. For every four fish that you eat, there's one fish that's been killed and is floating around in the ocean in a net somewhere, and nobody knows about it. This problem hurts fish populations around the globe, and we rely heavily on these fish for protein to feed the world. Three billion people around the world rely on fish as their number one source of protein in their diet. It's a big, big issue. I guess the real question is, how many nets are we actually losing? Is this a couple hundred? Is this a couple hundred thousand? How many nets are we losing and is this getting better or is it getting worse? The number that most people will point to when talking about this is the 640,000 tons of gear lost every year. Now, that number seems, it's it's a big number. So it's approximately the equivalent of the mass of twice the Empire State Building to give an idea of what that's like. It's actually the same weight as if you sank 106 thousand African bull elephants to the bottom of the ocean every year. That's crazy. Sorry, sorry, sorry. Okay, let's get back to Joel. But that number comes from a a United Nations report from 2009 and that's quite, you know, that's a decade old and it was an it was a best guess on the part of the authors at the time. Okay, so let's recap here for a second. 
We have these nets and ghost gear that are just floating around or abandoned at the bottom of the ocean, and they continue to fish for anything that might come in their path. And we know that this is likely to be 640,000 tons that we lose every single year around the world. Let that sink in for a minute. That's an enormous, enormous amount of gear that we lose every year. And that's a best guess. That's a best guess from 10 years ago. So there must be things that we can do now to help alleviate gear loss and use our technology to be able to improve our fishing techniques. There are GPS buoys that can alert a fisher where that gear is at all times and is connected to an app and a GPS network so they can look on their phone and find out where their net is exactly um, or their deployed gear, whatever it happens to be. It's really, really amazing that they're able to do that these days. But even certain certain technology like Blue Ocean Gear, for example, out of California, one of our Triple GI members has a buoy that has sensors in it similar to what you'd find in your mobile phone. It can actually distinguish between gear that just breaks loose and gear that gets in caught by a whale or some other interaction. All that is to say that there's, there's a lot of this coming out on the horizon. We're testing this in some of our projects around the world. Uh, but the tech side of things is, is, is really, really interesting. So the good news is we're working on it. It's a problem. We realize it. And we're starting to find solutions to it. But... This is a global issue. This isn't just an issue for people with an extreme amount of money to be able to afford high-priced buoys with technology inside them. We need to think of global strategies that will work everywhere around the globe. These are things that the GI can help to implement with other national governments in their own jurisdictions. We can actually influence when and where fishing gear can be deployed. So we can avoid high traffic shipping channels where there's huge vessels going through that would tear up the lines and we would lose all that fishing gear. We can also influence it by different management systems. So having fewer nets go out by a quota system for different amounts of fish that can actually be caught. Even with the design of the gear that we use, we can choose nets and gear that are less likely to get snagged at the bottom or less likely to actually break down and be lost at sea. All these choices and decisions can help lead to less and less gear loss. And we are likely seeing less and less gear loss right now, but it's hard to get an idea of how much gear we're actually losing every year because there's a negative association with losing your gear. It's something that we need to break the stigma around for fishermen reporting their gear loss because it's not necessarily their fault. But we need to have an idea of how big this problem is and how best to tackle it and where these pieces of gear are located because it's a big ocean out there it's it's not an easy task to go out and start to recover this gear for an idea of what that's like we reached out to the emerald sea protection society they're doing on the ground or rather on the water work to help recover gear off the coast of vancouver island my name is burton scott i'm one of the founding members of the organization i'm a commercial diver as well as a, a field person for, for this project. And I'm Ali Stocks. I'm a marine scientist. And I started helping out with Emerald Sea maybe about four years ago and am one of the members of the board of directors. Burton and Ali and the Emerald Sea Protection Society are actively working to clean up our coastlines in Canada. And as you can imagine, 
it's not easy to find one of these ghost nets. I mean, there's a lot out there, don't get me wrong, but it's a big ocean. So how do you even get started? What's the best way to find a ghost net? Yeah, there's definitely a few approaches. The most successful that we've found so far is is word of mouth, like actually talking and working with fishermen to identify areas where there is potential gear loss or legacy gear loss from the past. Yeah, there's some technologies that are being piloted, like side scan sonar. So literally scanning the ocean floor to try and see if there's gear. It's been improving over over the past few years, but generally speaking, it's it's fairly costly and not necessarily the easiest to actually identify gear that's under the water. Another tool that we use is um, remote operated cameras. So something that you can operate from onshore. But even then, you kind of want to have a general sense of the likelihood of of a piece of gear being in that area because you're not necessarily going to go out and just video, you know, our entire expansive coastline. (laughs) (laughs) What do you mean? We don't have time for that? We don't have enough money to go and do that? Gosh, that's what we would do if if there was all the money in the world. We'd be out there just just puttering (laughs) all day long. (laughs) All right. So scanning the bottom of the ocean. It works, but it's not the best way forward. So how can people get involved with this? So let's say you're out on the boat and you happen to pop across a ghost net. What do you do? Well, the Triple GI, they actually have an app for your phone that you can download for free and you can report any type of fishing gear with it. So this can be just from one single hook all the way to a football field size net. And it helps them to get an idea of what the level of fishing ALDFG is out there. And also how they can help coordinate recovery efforts for all of this ghost gear. You can report lost gear as you find it to our global data portal um, directly through the app. It's a very simple touchscreen interface, um, lots of images. And again, you will find gear if you look for it near a body of water. Um, There's always going to be something nearby if if uh, if there's fishing activity somewhere. So this is a really easy way that anyone can help out and help eliminate ghost nets. And whether it's a small cleanup effort or you've already found a huge net that you might not be able to take care of, I'm always curious, actually, how do we get rid of those enormous nets that are in the middle of nowhere in the ocean? I mean, I don't have a big enough boat. It definitely takes a pretty significant effort. Just organizing people and equipment alone takes quite a bit of time. All of these sites that we do that aren't dock cleanups are are offshore. So you're looking at a, you know, one to several hour boat ride out to site and then weather depending and uh, site conditions, whether you actually get in the water and, and do recovery, it's kind of based on all that stuff. Maybe for a bit more of the sort of what logistically does a day look like? Burton lives this every day as a commercial diver, but maybe people don't realize the water in BC is is pretty cold, usually around you know eight degrees Celsius at it, as, at its warmest. So we're in full you know dry suits. You've got a ton of equipment and weight. You know we have to have a surface crew that is ensuring safety for all of the divers that are underwater. We need at least two divers, usually more, and ideally you know having um, actual communications between the divers and the surface. So some pretty neat technology. And then depending on the, the size of the equipment that we're trying to pull up. So, so for example, this seine net, which you can imagine like the, a full size seine net is like a football field. Like they're, they're massive. So it's, you know, you can't just be out there in a canoe, right? So you also need 
a boat and and equipment to actually pull that net out of the water. Um, so the divers themselves can use controlled ways to do it under the water or, or lift the net from under the water. Uh, but then, you know, once you have more of a force of gravity, you need uh, the right equipment topside to actually remove that gear. So there's some pretty incredible imagery uh, from some of the the projects all over the world of these just full like net balls, like these things the size of houses of, of gear that's accumulated. And, and you really need impressive, you know, machinery to actually pull that out of the water. Yeah. So now you have a net ball that can be the size of a house. What do you do with it? So you actually can recycle a good amount of it. A lot of the nets are created with nylon, and this is a highly recyclable material. The problem is how long have the nets been down there and how many things are entangled with it because you need to have a pure uh, substance to use as a as a material you you have to get all the barnacles all the algae everything off of it so it's a huge time investment and um, an effort investment to be able to recycle these materials but companies are doing it there are some really amazing um, businesses that are creating, you know, skateboards, sunglasses, bathing suits, you name it, out of lost fishing gear. You got to look up uh, Boreo. Check out the show notes because I'm going to put a few links to different companies that are selling these kind of uh, repurposed products that I think are just so fascinating. Uh, Of course, not all of this equipment can be recycled. Some of it is repurposed into new fishing gear, but some of it is just so old and degraded that unfortunately it does go into landfill. But at least it isn't still out there and adding not only to ghost fishing, but also to plastics issues in our oceans. So some studies have actually found that 50% of the plastic in our oceans is just abandoned fishing gear that's just out there. It's not water bottles that we always imagine it to be. No, this is fishing gear that's just left out there. These were found in the North Pacific Jar, the Great Pacific Garbage Patch. 50% of the plastics, the macroplastics, the bigger plastics, is just fishing gear. So this isn't only a fishing issue. This is a plastics issue, it's a pollution issue, and it's a human welfare issue. Now, that takes us back to our title. What are we doing? Well, we've covered that for the last 20 minutes, but how can we do better? So how can you and I help with this problem? Well, there's lots of different ways. We can support these companies that are collecting this ghost gear that's out there. And we can also buy repurposed products that are being made with this stuff. So make sure to check out the show notes. I'll leave links to many different companies that are actually producing goods that you can buy that are made with this stuff it's really cool and i highly recommend checking out these companies are you looking for a way to get even more involved lots of these groups that are cleaning up the oceans are volunteer based and they are ngos that need volunteers so they're always happy to accept more help where they can get it so make sure you sign up for a beach cleanup or an offshore cleanup if you're a diver the more help the better Another great way to help is to actually help the Triple GI find all of this ghost gear. So you can download the Triple GI's app on Apple or Android and any ghost gear that you come across, 
you can actually take a photo of it, geolocate it, and that feeds right back to the Triple GI and all of their partner organizations to help us get an idea of what the scale is on this problem and where we should concert our efforts and concentrate them so that we can clean up this problem before it gets any worse. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe. We will be releasing our full deep dive interview with the Triple GI, so Joel Bezik's interview on Wednesday. And then we'll also be releasing our full deep dive interview with Allian Burden from the Emerald Sea Protection Society on Thursday. Make sure you're subscribed so you don't miss any of those. You can't wait until then? Well, you're in luck. The Triple GI and the Emerald Sea Protection Society, they have websites and they have all the social media channels. So please check all of their stuff out. Both organizations have so much information. Thank you to both organizations for being on the show this week. And we can't wait to see what you guys do next. And that's our show for today. Thank you so much for listening. Please subscribe so you don't miss any of our future episodes coming out. Leave us a rating and a review. It means so much to us to hear back from all of our listeners. I'm the host and producer, David Evans. And I would just like to thank the rest of the team from the Aquatic Biosphere Project, specifically to Paula Pullman, Sophie Cervera, Anna Bettini. Thanks for all of your help. To learn more about the Aquatic Biosphere Project and what we're doing here in Alberta, telling the story of water, check us out at aquaticbiosphere.ca. And if you have any questions or comments about the show, we'd love to hear them. Email us at conservation at aquaticbiosphere.org. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and leave us a review. It really helps us out. Get excited for next Monday when we release our next episode all about seawater desalination. We talk to Heather Cooley from the Pacific Institute about water stress, how many cities across the world are actually about to run out of water, and how seawater desalination might be able to help. Thanks for listening to the What Are We Doing podcast. And until next time, it's been a splash.